Welcome to The Streets Are Planning. This is your host, Jay Ruffin, and I am happy to be with you folks today. We have two great guests on the show. Um, we're going to be talking environmental justice. This is a topic that has definitely uh, been at the forefront for a lot of folks who have been listening to the show as, a, as an interest and something that they wanted to hear more about. So these two uh, you know, are, are folks that I have been following for quite some time because they've been at the forefront uh, here in the Midwest and a lot of the work that's been going on as far as environmental justice is concerned and community um, and supporting community. Um, they definitely make sure that they raise the voices up of those folks who uh, you know, are being impacted negatively by, you know, environmental issues, whether it be in Detroit, whether it be in Flint, uh, Chicago, New York, wherever, uh, these guys have, have played a major part um, and played a role in, in a lot of those conversations. And so I'm, I'm grateful to have them on today. Um, so we have, you know, uh, uh, I'm, you know what, I do this and let folks introduce themselves because I like for folks to kind of rep their hood the way that they do. Right, like I could never do it justice. I could never, you know, uh, uh, break it down for where you're from. So I'm going to give them the opportunity. Uh, we're going to start with Gabe. Gabe, uh, tell the folks where you're. Tell the folks who you are and where you're from. Yeah, sure thing. So good to good to be with you, Jermaine, and you know Jeremy, and and uh, I should say, you know, big time fan of the show overall. So, um, uh, so I'm Gabriel Jones. Uh, I am. Uh, I grew up in uh, Southern California, specifically in a Temesco Valley, which is an unincorporated part of Riverside County. So about 50 miles inland from LA, um, just south of the city of Corona. Um, and I, uh, you know, come, so come from the, from the mean, mean green streets of Corona. And uh, no, I'm just kidding, it's a predominantly white <laughs> suburb. I was uh, one of, you know, a handful of people of color there growing up. But um, yeah, and I, I, uh, have lived outside of California now for a couple of years and, and mostly in the Midwest. Sure. Well, you know, we always got to show, you know, the Inland Empire a little love, man. It, you know, the IE doesn't get a lot of love, man. You know, so we, we got to hold you down, brother. We're going to hold you down. All right? Thank you. Yeah, shout out to the IE. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. And so our, our next guest, uh, we're going to allow him to introduce himself and, and represent where he's from. So let the folks know who you are and uh, where you're from. Yeah, sure thing, man. Thanks again for for having us on, man. This is this is great. Always, always awesome to to connect, man. Especially connecting with with, with other men of color on, on such you know important issues. Uh, my name is Jeremy Orr. I'm from the 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 mean streets of Detroit, man. So I'm from the west side of the city. Uh, you know, born and raised there. Uh, you know, pretty much lived here for the most part, uh, for the better part of my life. Uh, you know, grew up on the west side. Went to Michigan State for college, man. Kind of came back, lived around the state for a bit. Uh, spent some time in Chicago kind of over the last, you know, say probably five or six years back and forth working with different organizations. So splitting time between uh, both, man, you know, since coronavirus hit, mostly been kind of at home in, in, in Detroit since our office is closed. And so, uh, so, yeah. Well, listen, I'm, I'm certainly excited to have you both on. Uh, to talk about these pressing issues in, in environmental justice. And so, you know, where, where I'd like to start is, you know, a lot of folks, when they think about environmental justice, um, at least from, from my conversation with some of, the, some of my listeners and, um, you know, with folks that I've encountered, is that they really don't know as much about it other than those issues that kind of rise up uh, to the level of, of public consciousness, whether through the media, through social media and things of that, that nature. So one, I, I'd like for you both to kind of, you know, just chime in about what your 
what your view of what environmental justice actually is um, and what are, you know, and then we'll, we'll talk about what are some of the pressing issues that you think uh, folks should be aware of and the things that you're, you find uh, important in your work. So Gabe, could you, could you kind of give just a brief overview of what you think environmental justice or what environmental justice means to you? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I think it's a great question. So, you know, I think I'll sort of break it up into two things. One, you know, environmental to me uh, and, you know, just uplifting things that communities have have expressed and, in, you know, grassroots organizations have expressed, um, I think, for decades. Environmental justice is really just kind of thinking about uh, or paying attention to the, the social and racialized impacts of policy decisions of you know uh, planning processes um, and other uh, other decisions that have actively shaped the environment of where people live, recreate, or um, uh, actually the, the the slogan is where people live, work, and play. Um, right to that end, and so it's it's um, while environmentalism is kind of you know certainly wrapped up into that, it's actually more so about power and race and class, um, and thinking about how that shapes what your environment looks like, and more so like the health impacts, uh, health and well-being impacts of that too, right? So um, that's on the one hand, you know, on the other hand, um, historically, the environmental justice movement is something that's kind of come out of, um, you know, work around the, uh, uh, actually work even going back to, to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, and looking at um, um, and aligning with the Poor People's Campaign and kind of work going on in, you know, in, in uh, uh, Memphis and in the South, thinking about sanitation workers, um, you know, out there, uh, and um, how they were being disproportionately kind of impacted by the work going on. And then, you know, you you fast forward to kind of the 70s and 80s um, to PCB spillovers, you know, in in uh, Warren County in North Carolina. So, right, people started to kind of people of color specifically, um, and in this case, in this case, you know, black people, um, but also other people of color. Sorry, paying attention to kind of, um, or not necessarily paying attention, but started to um, act on, uh, you know, these instances of contaminants being in their uh, in their neighborhoods in their areas, um, you know, uh, and a lack of kind of services to that end. Um, and you had people who uh, who may have been environmentally inclined, but were actually more so thinking about the health and well-being of their communities. Uh, because they were able to start to kind of see these, you know, environmental contaminants um, um, happening or uh, 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 starting to to impact their communities to that end. So it's it's really again, I think, just thinking about um, and it, there's been different iterations of or there's been growth in the movement. I think overall to now now think about climate change and you know disproportionate impacts of of climate change to that end. Um, but I think it's it's folks taking kind of a race, class, and power analysis to um, to whatever environment they're in, and looking at how uh, uh, people who have been um, who have faced the most structural barriers are able to shape or not shape that environment. Got you. And and Jeremy, um, you know your thoughts on environmental justice and what it means to you, and uh, you know how would you define it? define that movement. Yeah, and I think to Gabe's point, environmental justice has a, a long history before it was even called environmental justice. You know, I think he, you know, he, he mentioned the, the Martin Luther King's Poor People's Campaign, and, and you think kind of immediately 
after that, you begin to see more and more movement on environmental protection, right? From, from you know, I think EPA celebrated 50 years last year, right? So you, you think about the creation of EPA in 1970, right? And, and handling this mission to protect, you know, human health and the environment and, you know, kind of doing that adequately to some extent until the 1980s where uh, United Church of Christ produced this like kind of landmark report called Toxic Waste and Rights, right? And, and it identified that black people were two to three times more likely to, to, to live by a, a contaminated uh, landfill, right? A, a waste site, right? Same for, for Latinx folks, right? And, and, and low-income folks, two to three times more likely than their white counterparts, right? So you had, you had the Black Congressional, um, you know, Black Congressional Caucus approach, you know, EPA about producing a report. A couple of years passed and they, re they produced a report, right? Uh, I think reducing risk, it was reducing risk in all communities was the name of it around 92, which essentially just confirmed everything that we knew from the 80s, right? From the original report, right? That said, you know, folks of color are much more likely to be exposed to uh, contamination. And then you have Clinton come in and, and introduce this Environmental Justice Act, um, which, you know, well, well, Environmental Justice Executive Order, right? Which kind of, uh, you know, looks at directing federal agencies and resources uh, towards addressing these, these issues that kind of appear. And that put us in this space of, of now, you know, states and, and local governments kind of, you know, trying to better address it. But like all of that comes from the, the space of like frontline communities, you know, who are directly impacted, predominantly uh, people of color and low income folks, um, you know, standing up, you know, rising up and, 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 and challenging industry, right? Challenging polluters and challenging the, the, the government to create some sort of accountability. And, and out of that, you have environmental justice where, to me, um, you know, when I think about environmental justice, I think of it as like the, the same as the criminal justice system, right? Environmental protection, right? If, you, if, if you're white and you got money, and you're fluent, you're good, right? You're, you're okay. You'll be taken care of. You don't got to worry about, you know, not in my backyard, right? You don't got to worry about polluters, even polluting. And when they are, they get held accountable. Right, uh, but if you you, you black, you brown, you poor, you, you you get the you know you, you get the grunt of it, right? You live you, you live in the places with contaminated land and contaminated water and um, polluted air, right? And and you don't get you know you don't get justice, right? People are held accountable for for the damage that they've done, and, you know. Same with you. Know, same when we look at you know the the criminal justice system, right? Like you know if you you will, if you have certain traits, right, privileges, you'll get your day in court. Right. If, 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 if not, you're over prosecuted, overcharged, over policed. Right. And, and, and you don't get your day in court. And I look at them as the same. man. so I see environmental justice in terms of how I would define it, man. I, I think it's not only the protection kind of w w which Gabe mentioned. Right. But to me, I build on that and say, like, it has to also include uh, it has to include remedies for, for past harms and reparations to some extent. And then it also needs to be forward thinking. Right. So not just how do we protect you from harm, but also how do we take steps necessary to make sure that uh, these otherwise marginalized communities actually also benefit from environmental changes and technological changes that are taking place. You know, and, and so I appreciate those, the, the, you know, you, you both defining that um, because, you know, it, it's, it's been my experience and I'll speak for myself. It's been my experience, the, you know, environmental, uh, environmentalism and, and environmental justice you know, in the spaces that I've seen since I was a kid, it was always talked about, uh, you know, how it impact, how these negative impacts impacted recre recreation, right? It was like, you know, when I was a kid, they had the, uh, you know, the Smokey the Bear, you know, put the fire out, and, you know, they had, uh, you know, things about, 
you know, making sure that the water was clean and, and you know, not drinking, uh, uh, you know, certain things because they had the plastic, uh, additional plastic that was, uh, you know, on these, uh, on their products. And the, the reality after, you know, working in community development for, you know, the better part, almost, uh, wow, it's hard to say about almost 20 years now is uh, being in this field in one, one role or another is that I, I, I'm embarrassed. I was embarrassed by the fact that I knew more about that than I did about the environmental impacts of like, say, a marathon in Southwest uh, Detroit or say for, you know, another organization uh, or, or the impacts along riverfronts where, you know, and in black neighborhoods, black and brown neighborhoods where they located industry, right? Because it was like, oh, they, well, we need jobs. Well, we need to breathe as well, right? And so, so for you all, how did you, how did you come to this work? How did you, what was something that, was there one, uh, you know, one issue or something that kind of sparked your interest in, in environmental justice? Or did you, you know, or is it something like you were in class and it just kind of hit you and you were inspired by a professor? So Jeremy, could you, could you speak to that first and then, and then Gabe, we'll have you chime in. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I, you know, growing up in Detroit, I, I didn't grow up with, uh, with some affinity for nature, right? I, I, I didn't grow up near water, even though the Detroit River was right there, right? You don't really spend time from Detroit. You don't spend time, maybe you do now because there's a river walk, but growing up, that wasn't something that was accessible to you, the, the river and the, and the water itself, man. So, you know, wasn't that, you know, growing up, the, the, all the parks in my neighborhood, man, were, were defunct by the time I had to be in middle school, right? So there was no there was no recreational outdoor space that would have exposed me to the environment, right? So I didn't grow up with that. And it wasn't until I graduated from college and, and took a community organizing job in Kalamazoo uh, where we had this, this uh, crazy, you know, contaminated old paper mill that was kind of right in the middle of the neighborhood and kind of butted up against a uh, low-income uh, Latino neighborhood and, and kind of a middle-income, uh, low-working income, you know, kind of white neighborhood. Man. And they found all these contaminants that were, uh, here, you know, it, it had it, it had been understood by the community that this site had been cleaned up. It was contaminated with PCBs, right? Kind of a cancer-causing toxin. So they were under the impression years ago this site had closed down, like in the like 60s or 70s or something. So here we are in the 2000s, uh, under the impression it had been cleaned up in maybe the 90s or early 2000s. Some testing is done. It turns out the place hadn't been cleaned up. It had been you know capped, capped and monitored is is what the EPA called it, right? So. It just consolidated it and, and, and pushed it to you know some other side of this you know uh, almost hundred acre you know property right that had no what would be considered uncontrolled in, in my opinion right had no sort of protection you could drive your car up in there and turn around kids could just hop the gate and play in there we're talking acres of vacant land that's been vacant for years that if you live in the neighborhood you know you'll you'll, you'll cross it right especially if it's not protected so. Um, that really triggered me to the incident. What, what, what stood out to me more than anything was two things. First thing was uh, there was, well, so we began to organize, right? So I was an organizer at the time. So I began to work with, with folks who had been, you know, organizing around the issue and, you know, put together a, a, a group called Clean Up Not Cover Up, made up of, you know, residents and stakeholders and elected officials and everybody who wanted this, this toxic site cleaned up. Uh, and what ended up happening was, was, during these meetings, you know, we would be meeting with EPA and, and you know, the Department of Environmental Quality and, and City Sustainability, and, and everybody was just talking over our heads, right? We didn't understand what was going on. We didn't understand Superfund. We didn't understand CERCLA and RECRA and NEPA and, and all of these policies, man, that, that they never took the time to, to explain to us. And by the time we would go home and figure it out and come back for the next meeting, they were on to something else. 
right? And, and it dawned on me that like, man, that was intentional, right? It was intentional to keep us ignorant, right? And, and keep us out of the know so that they could, you know, continue to pull the wool over our eyes and, and keep stringing us along. The other thing was none of those decision makers from those agencies that I mentioned, I mean, they were all white men, right? They were all predominantly middle-aged white men making these decisions for a community that was pre predominantly Latino, right? Low-income Latino community. And like I mentioned, you know, it's more working, working class, you know, white community. Um, they, they weren't representative of these communities in any way. And, and that, that blew my mind, man. So here we were, you know, trying to clean up a decision that disproportionately impacted a community of color, a poor community of color, and nobody making that case look, you know, nobody making the case that had the chance to have a decision look like that, man. So it was, it was in that moment that I decided, you know, two things. One, I never wanted to be in a room where I couldn't understand what was going on, right? I always wanted to at least be able to connect the dots. So while they were talking over our heads, man, that, that blew me away. I, I told myself I never wanted to feel that helpless in a room before or again. And the other piece of that was recognizing the, the lack of diversity and representation in the field. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to be an advocate to be in this space to advocate for the communities that I come from, the communities that I've, I've always lived in, that I still live in now. Um, and, and be, a, you know, not only be a voice, but also create space for communities to have a voice and a seat at the table, right? And, and for me, that looked like um, a bunch of different things. And, and ultimately, it led to a career in environmental justice, in particular environmental law. But that was kind of my epiphany moment. And that was, you know, in my, you know, kind of in my 20s, maybe, you know, close to 10, 10 years ago now. Wow. And, and you've had, you've had an impact, man. Um, Gabe, so, you know, for you, how did you come to this work as well? Yeah, I think my my, my story is different than Jeremy's <laughs> uh, to that end. I, you know, I did have, um, uh, but it definitely, you know, um, um, appreciate Jeremy's story as well. I, I, uh, I think I, so, right, I said I grew up, you know, in Corona. Um, I was actually kind of at the, uh, my, my, um, my neighborhood was like at the foothills of like this uh, sort of, of like kind of a mountainous part um, uh, with like this forest behind us. So I actually did go, you know, we would go like hiking up there when I was a kid. Um, my dad used to like to hike sometimes. My family would go out to different places. So I think I did bring a certain um, uh, affinity for kind of natural spaces just growing up, you know, and like to, um, I don't know, I caught lizards and stuff like that, right, too, all that stuff. But so I, I'll say that I think that's that's a, a lens that I brought growing up. I still bring it overall. However, so I grew up in Corona. My, um, uh, or I should say, but grew up in Corona for most of my life. I, I was actually born in L.A. and all my family's from L.A. Um, and I still have family out there. So at the time that I was, I came into, I think, the concept and movement of environmental justice around college. So I, uh, prior to then, you know, um, I got to give credit to my moms for really just bringing um, uh, kind of my attention to the injustices related to, to, you know, environmental impacts as I was growing up. Um, you know, literally we would, we would go down the 91 freeway um, on our way from, from Corona to, uh, to, to Bell um, in Southeast LA. 
And, you know, she'd, she'd just point out, like, look at these houses that are right next to this oil refinery here, you know, and it's predominantly, uh, yeah, Latino or, or people of color there, or, you know, look at these factories um, where we're at in, in near my grandma's house in, in Vernon, um, that like literally there's, there's like this hog, uh, there's this Farmer John, um, what do you call it, Farmer John processing plant, you can smell it sometimes, even, you know, miles away. Um, and so she, she, she raised my awareness of that, I think, um, you know, and then when I went to college, I learned that that was a field as I was just trying to, uh, you know, figure stuff out then and, and trying to find what I could do around environment too. Um, and particularly learn that, um, you know, there's research around that too. So when I was in college, I was, uh, uh, you know, on the strong research path and, uh, uh I think still kind of carry that interest generally, but, you know, I, I started to to um, as I started to to learn about environmental justice, um, you know, I think through as a concept through the research, uh, had seen like, wait, these these people are doing research like where you know where my grandma <laughs> uh, was at and and where I was. I went to Cal State Dominguez Hills, but I was I was still living in um in um or I had moved to to uh, to Bell to um. At, in college uh, as it was close to Cal State Dominguez. And so I was like, wait, you know, this is like right here. Like these people are talking about, you know, I know exactly where, what facility they're, they're you know, or facilities they're talking about. Um, you know, I know what the communities, or I can't say I'm from there, right? But I know what the communities are like, because um, I've been there. Uh, and so it was, because it felt like it was in my backyard to that sense, I just felt like, a, um, uh, I felt like if I'm going to, be doing some kind of research, it should definitely be in service of the communities, you know, that are uh, being, that are facing this pollution kind of day in, day out um, across multiple sources. And so I think that, you know, I had come into EJ with this kind of strong research interest, and then as well started learning about like, you know, um, community-based research, right, and participatory action research that really starts to flip the dynamic of who's the, who's the, who's the expert here and, and how do we lift their uh, knowledge up to impact policies, um, you know, and particularly empowering communities to kind of drive research agendas and, and see how that information is distributed for their, their uh, benefit, right, and so, um, so, you know, had uh, uh, carried through with that kind of research, um, you know, work. And I think that just took me to grad school and that, you know, took me to uh, also working, uh, you know, with EMIAC, with East Michigan Environmental Action Council, um, um, you know, and, and uh, just starting to learn a little bit more about different organizations and different um, environmental justice issues as I had moved, you know, from California to the Midwest and kind of all throughout. Uh, and ended up in philanthropy somehow, but that's that's kind of a you know uh, a different piece that we can speak to. Yeah, we'll we'll certain we'll certainly get to that. And I appreciate you both sharing these stories because you know again a, a lot of our listeners are you know maybe on the same paths and tracks that you are right. And and for them um, hearing and, and being able to identify with your stories and, and how you came to the work uh, is motivation. And so I appreciate you both uh, sharing how you how you got into it, and I hope that it inspires uh, you know some of the listeners to to you know consider environmental justice as a career path, um, but more than anything to to begin to research and investigate what environmental justice can mean in their their particular community, and maybe it's an issue um, like you said sometimes 
you know, I, I'll just, I'll speak for myself. I grew up in, in Canton, Ohio, and one of the, the largest industries there, uh, you know, there's a couple of companies. There was D-Bolds. Uh, D-Bolds was known for making a lot of the ATMs and, you know, security, you know, kind of equipment and voting equipment and all that kind of stuff. But then on the other end, you had uh, the Timken Company, which is a large company that's, you know, makes roller bearings for vehicles and for all types of, uh, you know, all types of industry. And, you know, there was this flame that burned that I could see out of my one of uh, one of my apartment windows. And I would look at it. It was like, oh, man, like I, I live next to, next to the Olympic flame <laughs> or something like it. Right. But but then as I got older and I realized like, whoa, wait a minute, they're burning waste. They're burning, you know, these chemicals that I could literally see. Um, from my window and I did I wasn't aware of it so you know having this knowledge and, and information hopefully it inspires folks to, to to really consider what are some of the impacts that are happening near near me right now and so to that end I, I'd like to you know pose a question to 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 Jeremy um, and, and then Gabe will we'll, uh, we'll get your point of view on this as well is that within the Midwest uh, there's a couple of issues, and, and I'll let you all speak to them, that have kind of risen to the top. One, climate change, without a doubt, is extremely important. It's something that we need to discuss, um, especially in, with the impacts to, to communities of color. Then there's water. Then there's air um, and these things. So could you kind of speak to what do you think uh, those items like, how would one get involved or what are some of the pressing issues that you see within those spaces right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think like you mentioned, climate change being, being kind of the, the existential kind of global crisis that we're all much more like aware of, you know, over the last 20 years. But, but it, there are so many other issues that are, you know, directly impacting our health and well-being, kind of like you mentioned, whether it's pollution and air quality, whether it's water quality, whether it's, it's uh, waste, land use, you know, things, agriculture issues, man, things, the nutrient pollution, things of that sort. But I think the one that kind of rises to the top for me, man, especially in the Midwest, is just crumbling infrastructure that that's uh, making water, you know, potentially making water less accessible, right, that we see throughout the Midwest. Man. I mean, you know, when you look at kind of kind of civil engineering grades of, you know, the major cities around the Midwest, man, they're like C's and D's, right? Our, our infrastructure is like 50 years past due when it was supposed to be replaced, right? You're talking about infrastructure that was built in the, the 50s and 40s that should have been replaced in the you know, 80s, right? So, and, or, and, and, and here we are now, man. But for me, I'll say water infrastructure is huge, man, because be, because of that, we've seen, you know, rises in, you know, rises in, um, in, in what people are paying for water, right? Cost of water has, has tripled and doubled in many places around the Midwest. We see, it doesn't need to be mentioned, right? But just the the the, the poison in places, places like Flint, right? Of, of of water being poisoned and not being drinkable, like Flint, you know, got got the the bulk of the coverage. But man, that's everywhere, right? Like like a lot of lot of places around the Midwest have old, outdated infrastructure that's giving, you know, that that's causing lead contaminated and other contaminated water to come through your tap. Um, you know, we think about uh, you know kind of some of the damage of of PFAS and in in land use and, and, and drinking water as well, right? So I think it, it's, for me, it's an issue of, man, the issue we're faced with of how do we address infrastructure needs in a way that doesn't put the burden on uh, communities, especially, you know, the communities that already can't afford it, that are already the most overburdened by it, 
Um, and, and I think of ways to get involved, man. I, I think it, it's really, I feel like there's no sort, no, no shortage of, of kind of opportunities to get engaged, right? When, when I look around kind of, kind of communities, whether it's your, your, your local organizations, man, whether it's the ones that, you know, you know of like a Sierra club or LCB or NRDC or uh, Earth Justice or you name it, or it's just some of the, the, the local ones like in Chicago, right? Like you, you, I work a lot in Chicago. So we're talking, you know, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization and Blacks and Green, you're in Detroit, you know, uh, People's Water Board and Michigan Welfare Rights and, and we the people of Detroit and we the people of Michigan, right? There's no, like there's no uh, NAACPs, right? Like there's no shortage of opportunities to get involved. I think it's, it's um, you know, just folks have to be intentional about it, right? And I think the other piece of that too is, because of the way this 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 pandemic has played out, involvement involvement is is it's much easier, which I come to find in my own work, right? In my own free time, right? I, I no longer have to to carve out whole blocks of time to get in my car to drive somewhere or catch the bus somewhere, right? And I'm and I'm thinking of you know the way we kind of schedule meetings and the ways you know we we fail to engage communities and involve communities over the years is because we're holding meetings during the day when when the most impacted people are at work, right? Or or we're holding them after hours where they don't have sitting, you know, city babysitters for their kids, right? Or, or there are all these number of reasons that, you know, folks haven't been able to engage. And I feel like I've seen an increase in that type of engagement, at least in my work on a regular basis, especially my EJ work, because the people who are most impacted now, man, they just jump on a call and jump on video, right? And they can express their thoughts and feelings and, 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 and throw their ideas out there and, and share their experiences in a way that uh, sometimes they haven't been able to. I appreciate that. Um, Gabe, same question. Uh, you know, what are some of the topics that you think, you know, are kind of at the top of, of environmental justice where you, where you are and in your, your work? Um, and then as well as like, what would you, you know, say to folks who are trying to get more involved in, in, in this space? Yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, you know, I think Jeremy kind of gave a good lay of the land for, um, for the Midwest. I, I might just add, you know, briefly that I think um, when you sort of compare the Midwest to the coast, right, there's, there's one thing that does stand out to me and, and Jeremy would, would be curious to hear if, if um, you know, if I'm correct here, but I think one thing that stands out to me is, is the, um, uh, the lack of sort of state action around environmental justice, and not so much from from frontline groups and you know and mainstream environmental orgs that are pushing on it, uh, but more so from I think uh, you know legislators and and regulatory bodies to that end. Um, and you know when I think about that feedback cycle uh, between people advocating for those and then you know legislators actually uh, sort of enacting policies. I work in philanthropy, so I think, you know, that um, um, funding is kind of one big piece behind that. And I know that funders in the Midwest have, have a lot have, have advanced on environmental justice and, um, you know, definitely uh, kind of thinking about that. And I think others are still kind of learning and, and kind of picking up on that. And then the Midwest is just, you know, it's a different, um, I mean, you all grew up here, so you've, and you've, you've been to the coast and stuff like that. I think there's just a different vibe out here that makes even pushing social justice agendas different to that end, right? You know, and I think, um, and so when I when I describe all that, you know, I mean to say um, that I, actually to give a comparison, you know, so California has the the California Environmental Justice Alliance, right? Which is kind of a you know state based coalition. They've been a really strong um, um, 
uh, advocate for policies that uh, uh, passing through kind of, you know, the, the state's Congress and, and stuff like that. And in particular, you know, they've played a big part in helping to pass legislation around um, uh, actually getting the state's uh, uh, getting the state to require cities to include environmental justice as part of their, you know, the general plan, um, allocating other funds towards environmental justice uses. Uh, you know, I think that the, there ha I haven't seen as much of that happening in the Midwest, or at least more so like legislators being responsive to that and kind of, you know, organizing amongst themselves to do that. Not that there hasn't been, there's, there's been a, a a bunch of activity, I think, you know, in the Midwest um, for that happening. And, and in Chicago, like thinking about, um, you know, Jeremy men mentioned some of the groups, but, you know, Little Village Environmental Justice Org, um, uh, you know, Blacks and Green, uh, and and passing kind of, a, uh, uh, and thinking about their work on the Clean Energy Jobs Act, um, you know, trying to, trying to move that along. But I do just think there's, um, there's a cultural difference in the Midwest that makes pushing EJ uh, activities a little bit different here overall. Um, so, you know, the, um, uh, and to also exemplify that too, you know, right, I think um, uh, while there's certainly segregation that happens in a lot of the cities throughout the US, when I think about, you know, somewhere like Chicago and you've, you've talked to this on your, you know, already with, with some of your guests before Jermaine, but like the legacy of, of uh, segregation and kind of racialized policies here. And that certainly plays out in Detroit, right? That certainly plays out in Milwaukee, you know, just looks different and it sets a different tone to that impacts everything from not only, you know, not only just planning and, and citing decisions um, for, you know, kind of these polluting industries and stuff like that, but everything else that would, uh, you know, impact um, the health and well-being of communities. So, so I, that's maybe kind of taking it at, from, you know, just a very like high level theoretical perspective to that end. But um, um, I do think that there's just kind of a different context here that, uh, that makes it, that makes uh, uh, EJ feel differently in the Midwest. Um, I, I won't even get into, you know, maybe some of the some uh, uh, folks views on climate change <laughs> and or you know misbeliefs around climate change to say the least too so um uh, uh yeah it's 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 all good i mean I, I i can say from my work and i'm sure jeremy can speak to this as well is is when you're talking to folks about climate change um i think it's it's more generational where where you know folks are tuned in or tuned out uh and i think that the more we have, uh, you know, younger leaders and not this is not to knock, you know, ageism or, or, you know, support ageism in any kind of way. But it's just the reality is that, you know, we have a younger generation who has grown up hearing about climate change has, has grown up, you know, having access to, to more information to where they can process and make these decisions on their own, whether they you know, want to get more involved in, in mitigating climate change. So I think that's that's something that I've seen here locally in, in Detroit and in Michigan, uh, and I hope continues everywhere throughout the Midwest that we all pay attention to this issue. It's not just about, you know, the coasts. It's about us, too. We're impacted, you know, with heat rising. We're impacted by, you know, as Jeremy mentioned earlier, you know, with, with poor water infrastructure um, and just poor infrastructure, period, uh, here in the Midwest. So, you know, one of the things that, that Jeremy, that you brought up and, and Gabe, you mentioned as well, is the, the EPA um, celebrating 50 years, right? Like, you know, that's, it's, it's huge. 
uh, we've seen over the last couple of years where, you know, uh, this past administration, um, you know, was, I, I would say is anti-environment. Uh, that's, you know, and, and, and that came across to me. Um, and and, and I've, what I'm seeing now, though, with the new administration that's coming in, representation is a very key component uh, to folks being able to have their voices heard and have that feel like they have that seat at the table. And so the EPA in their 50th year, uh, getting Michael Regan to be, you know, who's going to, who's uh, President Biden's, you know, uh, um, nominee for the EPA position. Uh, could you just kind of speak to representation in environmental justice and what his appointment um, means to you? And, and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head, man. Like the, just the last four years under the current administration, um, you know, they, they've done everything they can to, to try to roll back any sort of pr pr protections, right, and, and, and safeguards on the environment and, and public health and and, and not just EPA, every, everybody who was over some sort of agency, most of them not qualified to be over that agency, Facts. were doing their best to, to, to try to tear that agency down. And, and I joke about it, but I'm, I'm you know, half serious. I think the only saving grace of, of them not being able to do more damage is because the people in charge were so incompetent that they weren't capable of getting, they weren't capable of getting these things right. Right. If they would have had thoughtful people, man, that were as vile as thoughtful as they were vile, man, we we would have been so so worse off. But when you when you got Ben Carson in, in charge of HUD as opposed to Surgeon General, right, then you he he, he can maybe do some damage, but well, not not much. You start off on the wrong foot, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. When you ain't heard from him for four years, you know it's it's it's, it's because he don't know what's going on. But I think EPA was one of the one agencies where they had people in charge who knew exactly what needed to be done to make some of those rollbacks and they were able to do them. Um, you know, I think in particular, somebody like Pruitt, right, who, who, was, who, who had been working in the environmental space representing, you know, old groups and stuff for a long time, right, and working in that space as attorney general in, in, in Oklahoma. Right? I think that's somebody who, had he stayed, he could have done probably way more damage. And, and, and Willer, who was probably you know, probably worse in terms of, of wanting to do the rollbacks. I think it was just the, the folks making decisions, man, just were kind of poor. But I, I say that to say, you know, it's it's been it's been refreshing to see the the Biden Harris administration be intentional about uh, you know diversity and, and equity and, and and lifting up particularly racial equity um, in their appointments, right, and, and and in their rhetoric, and even even in their, you know, their written plans throughout the campaign, right, and, and in particular lifting up environmental justice as a priority, and, and that that's exemplified by their selections for, um, you know, for, for EPA, for Department of Interior, right, um, you know, in th those in particular, uh, you know, CEQ, right, like those three in particular, uh, you know, people, people of color, you have an indigenous woman over, uh, you know, Department of Interior, you have a black woman over CEQ and, a, and a, a black man from North Carolina where environmental injustice has been notorious for as long as folks can remember. And, and I think the thing that's most interesting about him when talking to my colleagues in North Carolina who have worked with him and I've had the chance to meet him on occasion and he's been a, a, a willing partner to my organization in RDC on, on our work in, in North Carolina. Um, one of the things that, that folks lift up, which I think is so critical is this is a black man who comes from a community that was riddled by PFAS growing up, riddled by contamination growing up. And one of the things that he did when he took over as 
you know, um, um, secretary of Department of Environmental Quality there in North Carolina was went back and cleaned up his neighborhood, right? The neighborhood that he grew up in, man, like to somebody who experienced it, who knows it, who had to live with it and grow up with it, man, like to, to have somebody like that in charge of an agency like EPA, let alone somebody that looks like you, right? Somebody that looks like us, man, and and and, and has those same experiences, I, I think it means it means a lot. So for him to be the, you know, not the first, you know, black person, but the first black man to serve in that position is, is critical. But then also somebody who serves in that position who grew up fighting and facing the, the fights that, that many, you know, other folks, um, many other environmental justice communities have, have, have faced is, I think that's, that's significant. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. G Gabe, uh, same question. Yeah, no, I think um, just picking up on, you know, Jeremy's kind of note here, the, the representation piece, um, I think just, you know, I'll speak personally right now, coming out of the Trump administration and coming out of, you know, four years of figuring out, you know, whether or not I was going to Canada or whatever is, <laughs> is, <laughs> is uh, um, it, it's refreshing, right? It's really, it's really um, hopeful and really, I think uh, just inspirational to you know to see people of color and in leader invisible leadership in um, you know in such a such a space as the EPA. Um, I think uh, you know eventually I I do um, uh, I do want to encourage folks to to uh, to um, continue to think about accountability as they would anyone else as we move along. I I, I want us to be strategic overall, but nonetheless. I'm just super excited by kind of, you know, this, this, um, um, uh, this next slate of leaders kind of coming into the EPA. And then, you know, want to also speak to, um, so Jermaine, you mentioned, you know, earlier, you, uh, when you thought of, when you were trying to, uh, when you, when you first envisioned environmental justice, you know, you were thinking of Smokey the Bear, you're thinking of all these environmental things, right? And I think that's not, that's certainly not accidental. There's there's uh, there's ways that people of color have been excluded from well first have been afraid of and have been excluded from you know environment from nature um, as well too so I think uh, to think about you know having people of color in the space um, demonstrating our credibility our um, you know the knowledge that we do have of environmental of of the environment of nature of, you know, kind of knowledge systems related to the environment um, is just crucial to that and, and actually represents, I think, a lot more than just any policy, uh, you know, advancing policies, but is also just emblematic of us taking up space in a place that was so white, um, you know, up, up until a couple, couple decades ago. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. I, th I think, you know, for, for me, it's also about being able to tell our stories from our perspective. So when I hear you and Jeremy, you, you, you talk about, uh, you know, Michael Regan, it, it's one of those situations for me where I'm like, I can identify with that. Mm -hmm. so, you know, the, how I got into my work is, you know, where I grew up and the situation that the, the things that I encountered as a young person. And, you know, because of mentors and, and access and support, I was able to now be in a position to be able to serve my community or communities that look like mine. And you, you gentlemen are in the same, same uh, position. And a lot of the guests that I've had on uh, have also talked about that. And so I think it's, it's valuable for folks to hear that no matter where, no matter where you're from, no matter what your surroundings and your circumstances are, uh, your voice is, is, is valid. 
your opinions are valid, whether you're expressing them at a city council meeting, you're expressing them at, you know, uh, uh, you know, if there's a racer site and somebody's over there having a having a public hearing and you need to go and speak to that. It's it's about raising your voice and utilizing the voice that you have, uh, you know, to bring to the table in all of these areas, because you matter you matter, you, you deserve to be in those conversations and the ultimate impact of whatever comes out of any of these environmental conversations is gonna be on all of us. Um, so on the climate change front, you know, I, I think this is something that's beginning to, you know, a lot of folks are, are talking about it, but I, I, what I would love to hear is, you know, not just talking about it as an issue, but in this next administration, let's talk strategy. Let's let's talk uh, uh, financially backed action, right? Um, so so I'm going to ask you a question. I didn't talk to you guys about that, but I'm going to ask you a question really quickly. Um, you know, Jeremy, you're appointed EPA director tomorrow. What is the first issue that you're taking on? And then, Gabe, I want your I want your response. Man, so the first thing I'm I'm doing me I, I don't care I'm trying to forgive people student loans I don't know if the EPA can do that. <laughs> my loans. Hey man, right. look Jeremy for EPA director, baby. Right. Let's make it happen. <laughs> you got to do some four. environmental tie-ins in there, man. Yes, sir. Be, but but after that, man, I I, I think the, the the first thing right is 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 rejoining the the Paris Accord, right? I, I think that's a no-brainer, right? But. But I think after a meeting, and, we, and that's what we've heard, right? Like that's what the Biden administration has said, right? Like they're rejoining the Paris Accord. That's kind of day one, right? But, but I think th there are a number of other day one things, man. I, I think the other thing that's so critical that that we could do on on the EPA side is 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 directly, you know, re-implement a charge for environmental justice, right? Because we we've had these executive orders over the last you know few years, right? Or every every president changes, right? Clinton created and Bush didn't do anything with it. Obama reintroduced it to kind of near like around his second term or something and then Trump didn't do anything with it right so I think one re reintroducing that has to be um, immediate for EPA right to, to to work with Biden to get that reintroduced and then I think the other thing is 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 starting to create um, intentional opportunities within all the federal agencies to lift up environmental justice that would be housed through EPA right so you, you talk about this environmental there was a you know, there was, there's an, an environmental, uh, there's an the interagency working group for environmental justice, right? Similarly, it, it, it comes and goes based on who's president. Um, but I think this year, like it, it's, it's going to be so critical to say, okay, not only does it need to be lifted up with an EPA and we're going to, you know, kind of just have some folks convening around what their agencies is doing, but oh man, we need to actually have people in each agency across the federal government that's responsible for civil rights and environmental justice and it's taking this stuff, you know, to the White House, taking this stuff to EPA, doing the convening, doing the work, and making sure that every agency is responsible for um, that, compo that component of environmental protection, right? Protecting, you know, black and brown communities, BIPOC communities, period, and low-income communities. Man, I think that's critical, right? So, so day one, man, stepping up and saying, you know, we're we're beefing up what we're doing on environmental justice immediately. That's, that's a that's a full day, man. That's a full day. But I, I definitely support that student loan piece. Um, so, uh, Gabe, same same questions, brother. Same yeah. question. You're, you're the EPA director. Uh, day one. What, what does your agenda look like, man? What's the what's the, the top thing on that agenda? Yeah, I'll just say ditto to the, you know, student loan thing. We, we can make that happen. That'd be great. But um, 
I think Jeremy, we're we're pretty much aligned. <laughs> I don't really have much to add. Actually, what I would I would say, um, all the things that Jeremy said, and when in thinking about um, in thinking about uh, you know kind of the intergenerational component of of carrying on this work of you know wearing kind of a movement perspective, sort of working your way out of the work and, and empowering kind of, or not empowering, but uh, um, uh, uplifting, you know, community voice to that end. Um, I think it would just be, I would definitely try to, uh, you know, strengthen sort of the pathway programs, um, whether it's through, you know, EPA or just through other sort of avenues to, you uh, to sort of show, you know, particularly youth, uh, youth of color and, and low-income youth, um, that there are sort of opportunities to to advance in this field and to enact kind of meaningful change. So, sort of strengthening kind of that, you know, that that talent pool to that end. Um, so whether that you know inner Intra-agency working group uh, persists or not. There's there's definitely a strong set of leaders and across different segments, across different sectors, um, who can kind of carry on this work. Yeah, thanks for that. And and uh, you know, since I asked the question, I think I, I should I should probably chime in with at least two things. Uh, for me, I do I, I do really like that idea of finding a way to ensure representation and equity uh, in representation across. Uh, you know, the, the EPA spectrum. I mean, I, I think if we have these programs, um, you know, and, and we're, we're seeing the brunt of those uh, negative impacts, uh, having a voice at the table is extremely, extremely important. Um, you know, this, the second thing is, is, is uh, Gabe, you mentioned something about, like, you know, the, the recreation side of things and how you came to, to, uh, you know, the, the environmental space. And I think for, for me, I kind of entered, you know, this, at least the knowledge base from the recreation side. And I've always wondered why there hasn't been a program that, you know, or there hasn't been one in some time that encourages people of color with, with passes, with ambassadorships, with a, a means to better see and understand what happens in, in state parks and, and national parks and, you know, and, and some of these spaces where, you know, so many of my, my white counterparts are like inviting me to go camp. I'm like, look, bro, I'm not going to camp with you where there's bears, um, but if there's some spaces that are, that are cool, then I, you know, then, then let me know. Show me, show me how it yeah. works. And so I think if there was more of that, and I know that you know we've had previous directors of of, of natural resources here in the state of uh, state of Michigan um, who who push some of those things, but I think a nationwide effort would be something I'd love to see of campaigning uh, to show folks of color. Like, look, you can come to these spaces too, and here's how you do that. So, anyway, that you know, and then uh, of course, full support. Student loans need to be raised for everybody. Uh, so, so, so you know, I I, I do want to say I want to wrap up the conversation by giving both of you an opportunity just to you know for a moment or two, um, you know, just to to talk about what issues this year that you think are going to rise to the top. And uh, and where where you think um, for Mr. Regan as as he gets into his role, uh, where you look forward to supporting him uh, in some of the work that you may be aware of that that might be rising to the top this year. Yeah, so I'm happy to start. You know, I think, um, and then just quickly, Jermaine, to your you know to your comment, um, 
with uh, uh, with kind of <laughs> with increasing, you know, kind of ele elevating people of color in natural spaces too, right? Would you say again? Certainly not, you know, but not uh, by default or by design. It's it's uh, you know it's it's been that way, and I think um, um, there's 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 a there's a whole history behind that encourage folks to kind of learn about you know people of color in the environment and ways that we've been excluded and um, or literally removed from lands right for you know for indigenous communities um, so just kind of speaking to that but you know I think looking forward um, from my point of view uh, and I realized I didn't actually introduce my title probably until this last part so but I'm a senior associate at Arabella Advisors and we're a philanthropic consulting firm right so we work with institutional foundations you know families individuals corporations um, to uh, help them sort of take an idea um, and advance on it to uh, you know to achieve impact through uh, philanthropic resources so um, so when I think about philanthropy and sort of the nonprofit sector, um, nonprofits are hurt right now, right? They're struggling. They're, uh, they're, they're just trying to make, people are just trying to make ends meet right now. And so when I, uh, when I think about the EPA's role in not only rebuilding kind of, you know, uh, bedrock policies and, and um, uh, taking stronger action on climate, um, there's also a role to kind of just support, uh, better support providers and, you know, partners to this work. So in particular, when I think about, you know, grassroots frontline organizations and EJ organizations, um, there's, there's, I think there's going to be a continued push for just general support for them, you know, whether it's through kind of capacity building, um, definitely increased multi-year, you know, no strings attached, uh, uh, general operating support grants, um, or, uh, you know, or also um, ways to kind of uh, uh, partner with grassroots organizations to create more, to, to sort of share power and distribute power to that end. Um, I think, you know, that will be something that's probably going to continue even through early next year as, as nonprofits are just trying to just trying to make it through, you know, out of last year um, to to not only continue doing the work, but to keep kind of sustaining themselves in, in doing the work to that end. Um, and then, you know, I think another thing is um, with climate. I feel like there's just going to be one thing to to look at is is um, uh, being really critical of how the narrative how the narrative for solutions are being shaped because I think we're in a, a moment now where despite the the <laughs> despite the uh, amount amount of misinformation and climate denialism that's kind of been promoted. I, I still think there's a, a pretty big segment of folks who are kind of ready to act or at least you know, have an awareness around this. And um, there are a lot of false solutions, I think, that are out there that could be promoted, you know, particularly through industry or particularly through um, actors who are not necessarily aligned with frontline communities and, and people of color to that end. And so getting ahead of those narratives um, to advance solutions that are uh, community oriented or community um, um, uh, generated by communities that are regenerative and kind of are holistic in supporting economy, health, environment to that end. Um, and that, uh, you know, are able to, um, I think, really kind of 
uh, address the root causes of climate change, you know, being our economic system, being our, um, uh, you know, being racism, <laughs> uh, uh, classism to that end, um, will just be one thing to, to sort of keep in mind as, as we move forward. Jeremy? Yeah, man, I, you know, it, it'll be really interesting, but I think what's been more, what, what's been more clear than anything else is, is you know, like climate change is, is going to be numero uno, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that's going to be huge, right? Like the, just looking at the diverse set of, of folks that the Biden administration, you know, nominated to, to lead all these various agencies that, that come from a wealth of experience, background, education, race, diversity, class, right? I think it, it, he, he put together a great diverse group of people with different perspectives that are all gonna be responsible for, for, for tackling this, you know, domestically and, and globally. So I think climate's gonna be lifted up in a way that not only that we haven't seen before, but I think in a way that I don't even think we were expected, which is really gonna prioritize and center um, uh, equity, right? In particular, racial equity. So I, I think that'll be interesting to watch. And I think the other thing too, and maybe it's, you know, because I work in a space of predominantly in drinking water, a bias, but I, I think we've seen so many issues bubble up in these last, you know, really five or six years around drinking water nationally, man. I kind of talked about all these various water quality and access issues, but I think COVID has only heightened them. I think we're realizing like, man, there are, you know, there, there's a lot of work to be done to make sure people have basic access to something that is, is essential to life and essentially should be a human right. So I think there's going to be big opportunities from the very beginning to address, um, not only water infrastructure, but but tighten water quality standards and, and make sure that you know people have access to to safe, clean water uh, around the country. Yo, this has been a, a a really great conversation. I really appreciate you both taking the time to be on the streets of planning. Um, you know, because I think these issues that you that you've raised and that we've been talking about are extremely important. And you know, one. Uh, the equity and, and representation piece is, is a must moving forward in, in the environmental justice space. And I'm so glad that we have leaders like yourself uh, who are operating that space currently and encouraging folks to, to join you in the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate that. Um, and I hope that, you know, as we move forward, uh, you know, that one day, you know, I'll be talking to you guys and be like, man, I, I, I had the, uh, the EPA director on my show and this was the question that he answered one day. You know, I don't know if either one of you aspire for that, but I think having voices like yours and being at the forefront of this stuff is going to be important for years to come. And, and I, I hope to continue to hear both of your voices in this space. So um, thank you again. Anytime, anywhere, any place, the streets are planned.